0: Let's turn as we close this series to Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and I'm going to read verses 13 through 18 and then I want to close out this series by addressing the issues that Paul talks about in the closing verses but also do some level of review as well just to remind us on where we have been and what it means to truly be ready as a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the scriptures together. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, grab the Bible either in the chairs where you're sitting or in the pews. And turn to page 990 is where you'll find our text. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 13-18. through 18. Here's what it says. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace, at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's pray. Father God, it is good to be in your place with your people, to lift up your name in song, uh, to enjoy the fellowship of of brothers and sisters in Christ who, uh, Lord, are seeking to honor you in all that they say and do. It is now our privilege, Lord, to open up your word and to learn as to what it has to say to each and every one of us, to look at the example of the impact that that same word had on the lives of people so long ago. Lord, I pray that we would take what is shared with us this morning from the hand of the Apostle Paul, but from your mouth, uh, the truths that will give us guidance and wisdom and insight as to how we are to live in a way that honors you and brings glory to your name. So Lord, I pray you'd speak through me and you would speak to your people uh, so that we may be changed as a result. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This morning I want to ask the question, are you ready or not? As a child, uh, we used to play games. We spent a lot of time outside, and one of the games we would play as small children was the game Hide and Seek. You know the game. Uh, you'd get a group of kids together, and one person would be it. That person then would find a place where they would close their eyes, usually a tree or some sort of post, where they would put themselves next to it, hiding their eyes, and beginning the countdown. And as they were counting, Uh, everybody else would go running to find a place to hide, to find a place where no one would be able to find them because the last thing you wanted to do was be found. The last thing you wanted to do was be caught by the person who was it. And you knew the game was starting. As the countdown came down, uh, the individual would say, ready or not, here I come, all right? All right. You've played the game. Now, I came to learn early on that this game was really just to get away from me because any time I was it, I could never find anybody. They had left the area code, okay? And I learned through counseling and all of that 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 happens sometimes and that my personality was a personality that acquired was an acquired taste. But you shouldn't laugh at that. But as as, uh, as the game would go on, Uh, your job was to be prepared in a short period of time you had to make a decision not only where am I gonna go but where am I gonna hide and and how am I gonna make sure that the person who's it can't find me child's play kids fun but if you apply that game or that idea to the spiritual realm to our Christian life then it becomes a profound thought. you see Jesus Christ told us at the end of his ministry I'm coming back. Every Christian, every Christian who holds true to the scriptures believes that Jesus Christ one day will come back. And that in his second coming, he will separate those who are righteous, who have been found righteous in his eyes, and those who are unrighteous. Those who have been obedient to his word and those who have been disobedient. And Jesus has a countdown going on. And we don't know what that countdown is only the father in heaven is aware of it But at some point jesus is going to say ready or not here. I come And in that moment if you think well, you know what when I hear that I still have a little time uh, to find a place to uh, To be ready We are told in the scriptures in second thessalonians that in that moment there will not be an opportunity to change course that when jesus christ when he comes You will either be magnified at His coming and be brought glory at His coming, or you will be consigned and condemned to everlasting ruin. And so in this closing passage we have, the question we have to ask is, in spending all these weeks reading this letter, the constant theme that comes up is the constant theme of readiness. And we have to ask the question this morning as we close this letter, am I ready? Are you ready for the coming of the Lord. Are you doing and are you living in such a way that shows you ready for whatever God may bring your way? Well, to answer that question this morning, we need to ask three questions of ourselves. Three questions. The first question we need to ask is, what am I holding on to? You see, you will ask, well, how do I know if I'm ready? What's the criteria of being ready? Paul addresses in our text this morning, Uh, A first response and the first part of the passage is kind of a hard passage It seemingly goes against what we know about loving christianity and yet paul's going to tell us that sometimes loving christianity Does the hard things and so notice what paul says as for you brothers do not grow weary in doing good We addressed that last week the importance of us um, Not being lazy in serving and loving and caring For people as we minister to one another in faith but notice Paul goes on and he says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Now let's stop there for a moment. Paul seems to identify within this church that is growing, that is vibrant, that there are people within their midst that find themselves disobeying the word of the Lord, the message of of the apostles, turn a, a page back to Second Thessalonians. So you probably just have to turn one page. Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verse fifteen. So just one page over. Paul says this in verse fifteen of chapter two. He says, "So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter." So Paul gives this picture that if he commands people to hold on to the truth that he's teaching and then says be careful of those who disobey the truth that you can be a person within a God-centered, Bible-believing church. You can be a part of all of the activities and find yourself out of step with God and His program for you, His people. What it means is, is in the church at Thessalonica, Paul was speaking out to people who in essence were hanging around the church But weren't hanging around Jesus Who enjoyed the activity, but weren't being changed by the gospel that was being preached to them and Paul says listen You have to take note of such people now before we go on too far here Paul says that one of the key criteria is For a follower of Jesus Christ is that we will hold on to the traditions we have been taught. When we spoke on this a couple weeks ago, we were reminded that this phrase hold on to was a nautical term, a term for sailors. And it was speaking of the choppy seas that a sailor might endure during a storm. And the job of the sailor was to find something on the deck to hold on to so that he wouldn't be tossed to and fro as the waves hit the ship and so he would find something secure something that wasn't it was immovable something that that uh, he could have full confidence and 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 uh, trust in that it wasn't going to move and paul says that for a christ follower the job that we have is to hold on to the truth of scripture and that's one of the key characteristics that we have as followers of jesus christ are we in the good times and in the bad in the sunny days and in the storm Are we holding on to the scriptures, if you will, as our life vest that keeps us afloat? Now, notice what Paul says. He says, Okay, are you holding to the truth? Are you holding to the truth? Well, that question I can't answer for you, you can't answer for me, but it's a reflective question we have to ask, and we have to ask it of ourselves as one who professes with my mouth that that Christ is all that he is, that the scriptures are all that that I believe them to be, if that belief and profession is true, then how am I living that out? Is that true in my daily walk? Well, seemingly, there were people who professed Christ, who were involved in the church, who had no intention of following the commands or traditions that Paul was teaching. They were unwilling to hold on to the truth that they had been taught. Now, How do we know if we're doing this or not? How do we know if the Word of God really is something that we hold on to or it's simply a tradition of things that we maybe believe but don't live out? I want you to see a couple things about what the Word of God does. You will know if you're holding true to the traditions you have taught by three things. Number one, the Word of God will cause, as Paul tells the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1 and then also 1 Thessalonian, or 2 Thessalonians 1, That your faith will be stretched. Your faith will be stretched. Turn to your Bibles for a moment, just back a page again, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul says this in verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. Let's stop there. Your faith is growing abundantly. That idea of growing abundantly is literally super-growing in the original Greek. It speaks of an, an abnormal rate of growth, a rate of growth that people will take notice. Now, we are always surprised by the, the rate of growth of things. Our children, I'm watching my three boys grow, and it is crazy, especially our oldest son. He's growing like a beanstalk. I mean, he is just growing all the He's eating all the time as well, but he's growing, and, and it's an amazing thing. As, as uh, we look at the fields that are around us, we always have the phrase, and it's it's pretty amazing because of technology and the way things are going, we used to say a good crop was knee-high by the 4th of July. Uh, a couple of years ago, and maybe it was last year, uh, it was, well, uh, you know, eye-high. And uh, so we have ways of measuring growth. We have ways of seeing, is, is this growing at the rate that it should? And what we see is that the Thessalonians, Paul says... Are growing abundantly they're growing at an abnormal rate out of the realm of of what can be explained these are young believers they've turned away from their idols they've turned away from their selfishness and sin they've given themselves to the Savior Jesus Christ and they're growing at an abnormal rate of speed it was amazing people well the question this morning is is if you are one who holds to the word then you should you should see growth, spiritual growth, a growth of faith in your life. Well, how do you know if your faith is growing? I mean, how can we really tell faith is something really that's invisible? How do you measure faith? It's not like you can get on the scale, as if you, any of us want to do that, to get on the scale and say, oh, I gained four pounds of faith this week. It doesn't happen that way. So how do we know? I think there are four questions we have to ask with regards to our faith. Number one, am I growing in my relationship with Christ and his church? The question I have to ask is, is is my relationship, if I'm going to measure my faith, I'm going to measure it in relationship to my walk with Jesus Christ. And so the question you have to ask this morning, are you growing in your faith, is am I closer to Jesus today than I was six months ago? Now, we rate that in our relationship with other individuals, in my relationship with my wife, Amanda. I can assure you that I know and have a a greater and deeper um, love and interaction with Amanda today than I did five years ago, 10 years ago, 18 years ago. Because we're in this ongoing relationship that we live life together experience life together and because of that We're being drawn closer and closer together as we experience and live life hand in hand And so it goes with our relationship with jesus christ. Am I closer am I in a deeper relationship with christ? Than I was at a time previously many of us as christians have allowed our faith to be stunted And we look back to at some point early on in life, whether it was a youth group experience, whether it was serving as a young individual uh, adult in the church, maybe it was early in your marriage, maybe it was when your kids were young, uh, a moment where the church was really on fire, you look back and you say, that's where I was on fire for the Lord. And what Paul is saying is the Thessalonians didn't look back to when they were on fire for the Lord. They looked at the present. Their faith was growing. Number two, am I utilizing the God-given gifts I've been given? Paul says, listen, these people are out serving and using their gifts. And one of the things that we will know is if we have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, as we become more like Him, then we will become like Christ in the way of service. And so the question this morning is, is, is your faith being stretched? Well, it will then stretch you into service opportunities that maybe you never thought were possible are you seeing God burden you uh, in the area of service burden you to be a part of, of serving him in a way maybe that might be totally out of your comfort zone and that's where you know we always are asking the question as as ministry opportunities come up as a church Right now, we're looking for some help in the Mops ministry, as you saw. A ministry that has, has had great yields in bringing uh, young moms and their families to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in a church our size, we would imagine that someone would have a burden to serve in that way. Someone who would say, I'm going to take my feeble gifts, my feeble abilities, and I'm, because I am so in love with Jesus, so in love with seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ be uh, reaching families, that I'm willing to stretch, I'm willing to use these gifts to serve God. Are you serving God in a way that's growing? Or are you in some level of spiritual retirement? I did my serving 20 years ago, I no longer need to do it, let the young people do that. Those are responses that were absent from the Thessalonian church. The third way that we recognize if our faith is being stretched is my life being characterized by generosity. As these people came to know Jesus and as they lived lives that were set apart by Jesus they were reminded of the truth of John who tells us for God so loved the world that he gave and as followers of Jesus Christ as we develop into those fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ we will be people who will be burdened with the job of giving not only of our money But of our time, our talents, our treasure, our testimony, every part of us will be a generous person. We will seek to honor God through generosity in all that we say or do. The fourth and final way that we know if our faith is expanding is do we have a God-centered vision? Do we see everything that we say, everything that we do, going through the funnel Or the filter that God my life is in your hands I place everything that I have everything that I do uh, on your throne and I'm not going to conform myself to this world I'm going to allow your word and your grace and your gospel to transform me That I will become in every day and in every way A deeper and more devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It's all about you God It's less about me And so how I spend my money, how I invest my time, how I am at work, at school, at home, how I go through the daily activities of life, all of it has to funnel through what would Jesus have of me with a realization that without the Spirit's help, I would fail each and every day. Do I have that kind of vision? Paul says their faith was being stretched. Is yours? Is your faith ready for God? Number two, Their love was being spread. We'll move a little quicker in these things. Your love will be spread. Notice in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Your love is increasing. The word increasing there is of a swollen creek that is overflowing its banks. And the idea here is, Paul says, it's increasing, it's growing. We've seen this in the last rain that we had uh, this last week. Uh, Our creeks, our rivers are overflowing their banks. We're seeing uh, puddles of water, lakes of water in our fields and as a result of that there's a realization number one it doesn't take a brain surgeon to do this when you woke up the other day and you saw all this standing water uh, if you missed it then i can help you with it it rained a lot the night before okay and so we recognize where we see standing water when we see a creek that was only four feet deep and now is 12 feet deep there's been a lot of rain the second thing that we recognize is that the rain has has taken so has has poured so much water into the river or to the creek that it's now overflowed its banks. It's overflowing. Well, here's what Paul says. Paul says that the love that we have as Christians should be overflowing, and it's a realization that when someone sees how we love, the the, the response should be they're getting that love from somewhere else. They are not this well of love that that makes up its own love as it goes. But just like the Creeks, it takes what it's been given. And so our love, what people should see is, wait a minute, that is an extraordinary kind of love. That love came from somewhere. Because nobody has that kind of love in their reservoir. And so someone has filled that love to capacity. And our response needs to be, I love because God first loved me. I love because Jesus Christ showed me what it is to seek and to save that which was lost. I love because God is love and He has taught me that the greatest of all commandments is to love. But notice, how do we know if our love is is being spread in that way? Notice, first of all, the the stretch of it or the width of it will grow. As we look at creeks that have been overflowing with, with water, we will see that they no longer fall into the channel that they were once in. They now have spread out. As we drive to uh, a church every day, uh, we go by a pasture where there's a set of cows. And it's pretty sad every time it floods because it has a winding creek going through it. And we will see half the herd on one side of the creek and half the herd on the other side of the creek. Because usually during the normal course of events, they're able to walk across the, uh, the creek without any trouble. But now they can't because the water has gotten wider and deeper. And as a result of that, they're unable to, if you will, pass through as they did before. Our love should spread as well. While we start with this little creak of love, as God pours His love into our lives, the, the channel of love that we have should get wider and wider. Well, what does that look like? The Thessalonians, their love were t- was touching people it had never touched before. So being ready for Jesus Christ, to be a follower who's ready is a person who loves in such a way that your love is touching people that it did not a year ago. That your love is stretching to people maybe that that you didn't think were all too lovable before. That person at work, that neighbor that you have, that, that enemy that you had that you thought nothing but evil thoughts against. As God's working in your life, as you're reading the Scripture and being challenged by His Word, you're watching your little creek of love become more like a river. And because of that, it's touching more lives. But notice also the way that we recognize our love is by its depth. That same creek that I'm talking about didn't just grow wider, it grew deeper. And our depth of love will be, ch- will be characterized by not a superficial depth, but by a love that is deep. A love that is profound. A love that goes deeper than, than a just cordial conversation with someone. A love that seeks to, to go the extra mile. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus put himself on the cross. He didn't come and just visit with us for a little while. His love was deep. His love was profound. He walked this earth. He talked with us. He endured all kinds of sorrow and pain so that he could go to a cross and do the most loving thing anybody could do. He laid down his life for his friends. Is your love being spread? Is it expansive? Paul says to be ready, your faith must be Stretch, your love must be spread and your hope must be sure We'll talk about this in a moment, but let's just address it while we're here Paul goes on and he says in 1st Thessalonians chapter 1 that these people had a steadfastness of hope And the idea here is how do I follow God? How well do I follow God when life gets tough? When life is difficult the Thessalonians followed God amidst afflictions and persecutions And so uh, when life gets tough, you have two options. Remember the story of Job. Job is afflicted with all kinds of sorrows, trials, and pain. He lost much of his family. Most of his wealth, his health failed him. And his wife, in the moment of calamity, comes to him and shares with him one response when bad things happen. She says, curse God and die, Job. Get angry at God and just be done with it all. And of course, Job, being the wise man he does, he turns away from his wife's uh, foolishness and he says something that we sing about in our songs, though he gives and takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And the one way that we'll know if we're ready or not is in the hope that we have, not in the moments of trial and tribulation that we're turning away from God, but is there a perseverance that God is in control, that God loves us, And though it may be difficult at the time That God will use all these hard things To further his kingdom To bring character and perseverance into our lives And to mature us To become more like him How do you view the trials and tribulations that you face? Is your hope sure? What are you holding on to this morning? Number two Who are you hanging out with? Paul says, if you're going to be ready, you've got to hang around with the right people. The proverb says, bad company corrupts good character. And so Paul now addresses, okay, now that we've told you, you've got an option. You can hold on to yourself, or you can hold on to God's word. You can hold on to the things of this world, or you can hold on to Christ. Paul says, the way, the decision that you make with regards to that is going to be based on who you're hanging out with. So let's pick our friends right. Let's pick who we're going to hang out with. Right now, what Paul isn't saying is is that uh, not to hang out with people in the world. He's not addressing the world. He's addressing inside the church. Who are you to be interacting with? And notice what Paul says. Paul says, "As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy." but warn him as a brother let's address this for a moment Paul says our readiness will be strengthened or hindered by the company we keep and so we've got to determine whether or not the people we hang out with are obedient to the word or they're lazy and lax in their walk with God and Paul says that it seems that the Christians in Thessalonica were being dragged down by people who hung around the church but who had no intention of following Christ they weren't willing to listen to what Paul said so Paul says there's three things you need to do write these three things down number one acknowledge their character acknowledge their character and conduct when was the last time you spent time looking at the people you hang out with and instead of just saying well 'Well, they're, they're funny or they're popular, or or they're my kind of people, or they like the same things I do, that you ask the question, are they people of solid Christian character and conduct? Who are they really? Are they people who find themselves devoted to the person and work of Jesus Christ in their life? Are those people around you, are they walking with the Lord in a way that helps you? That motivates you to be a stronger believer? Are they people whose life and character scream, I'm in love with Jesus? Or are they people who in name only or in their name tag say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but, but don't ask me how I live it out. Don't ask me how I show God that. Just believe my message. Paul says, acknowledge their conduct and character. Notice he says, take note of him. We need to take time and look at who we're hanging out with and asking the question, are these people helping my relationship with Christ or not? If we find out that they are helping the relationship, then move along, enjoy the friendship, enjoy the fellowship. But if if you find them to be wanting in that way, where they're hindering your walk, where they find themselves... Uh, Being more of a table setter, okay, or a place setting uh, Than actively involved in the relationship with Christ Paul says, avoid their company Write that down, avoid their company Notice what Paul says Take note of that person and have nothing to do with them Wait a minute, Paul I thought we were all to get together and have group hugs I think we were all supposed to sing kumbaya around a fire I thought that the church accepted everybody in every way But listen The church is to accept people who say that they are looking for a, a relationship with Jesus Christ but we need to be careful because we recognize that there are people who say they have a relationship with Jesus Christ whose lives say something totally different remember Jesus says on that day when I come many on that day will say Lord Lord did I not do this did I not do that did I not do all these miraculous things and Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. The scariest thing that I can tell you as a pastor is there are people within this church sitting here today who will get that response from Jesus on the day of judgment. We'll say, but Lord, I sat at Village Bible Church. Lord, I, I listened to Pastor Tim preach. Lord, I gave money to Village Bible Church. Lord, I even served, you know, but kind of begrudgingly, but I did it, Lord. I did all of these things. And Jesus will say, But I never knew you. We were never in relationship together. Paul says a person who professes that and then lives contrary to that is one who should be set aside, to be avoided. Of course, this conjures up uh, what we're told in Matthew 18. Uh, In a practice that we as a church do that I know scares people and that's the issue of church discipline That there are moments times and places where someone professes to be a follower of jesus christ whose life is characterized by selfishness and sin and while that process is a long process and while that process is a process that is just Covered in prayer and and covered in grace. There are moments in time where the church must say We can't hang out with you anymore Because you're being a liar to us, you're being a liar to God, and you're being a liar to the world because you're telling the world that you can (laughs) profess Jesus and live any way you want. Paul says, avoid them. Stay away from them. Number three, admonish them as a Christian. Okay? So, what does that mean? Notice he says, they're not an enemy. Don't treat them like an enemy, but treat them as a brother. And So recognize that they are wayward recognize that they have gotten outside of the rank if you remember last week we learned that uh, Those who are walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that we were taught in verse 6 was the idea of a soldier breaking rank from a formation and so the job of the of the Christian in the church and the job of the church is to announce to that person like the drill sergeant does get back in line Get back in formation. And so if someone is not walking in the traditions of the Lord, our job should be over and over again reminding them to come back to where they first started, where they once were, to get back into the formation that God has called them in the church to be a part of. So we acknowledge their conduct, we avoid their company, we admonish them through love and through grace recognizing and knowing that we ourselves could break rank any time as well that we would recognize that we are prone to that kind of leaving as they are so our job is to lovingly yet loudly speak into their life to return and to repent so that they might be ready for the coming of the Lord so that then Begs the question this morning, what should I be looking for in Christian friendship? And while the text doesn't address it, I want to give you very quickly three things that you should be looking for in Christian fellowship. Number one, Christian fellowship, the people you hang out with, should always be pointing you in the right direction. They should be pointing you in the right direction. So here's some questions this morning, church. Does your interaction with fellow believers point you to a greater obedience to God or a lesser obedience? Are those interactions and that fellowship challenging you in the spiritual areas of your life? Do those conversations that you have within Christian fellowship speaking to you about your temptations and and uh, proclivity to sin and addressing the importance of not falling to Satan's schemes? Do your friends know your failings and struggles? Are your friends willing to protect you from all that the devil throws your way. When you are with them, do you feel like you're drawing closer to Jesus Christ? Or as if you're having a conversation that has nothing to do with Him? You see, sadly for many of us, our relationship with fellow believers, that if, they, if an outsider was to see our interaction, they would see an interaction between two people whether they're believers or not, it doesn't matter. Our conversation is never about Christ. Our conversation is never about our sins. Our conversation is never about how we can honor and bring glory to God. It's about the weather. It's about sports. It's about work. It's about the kids. And it never has Christ as the subject. Christian fellowship is not just friendship. It is a bond where brothers and sisters of Christ who are from far different places in the world have been brought together under the banner of jesus christ who have been saved by the same blood who have been empowered by the same spirit they get together and it is unthinkable that two christians would ever get together and spend any amount of time together and the subject of jesus never come up we need people that are going to point us in the right direction number two as paul shows us we need people who will pray for us often Throughout this letter, Paul has told us over and over again how we prayed for these people. And over and over again, he says to the people, pray for us. And, and we see in Christian friendship and, and those who hang out with one another under the cause of Christ that people, Christians who hang with one another should be people who are praying for one another. And so that begs the question this morning, uh, when was the last time you spent a concerted amount of time and energy praying for the people around you? Lifting them up in prayer. Do you know if people are praying for you? Have you opened your life enough that people can know what you're struggling with? Can know what's concerning you and lift you up in prayer? That's gonna involve some transparency and and the more we get into this world and the more our culture becomes isolated we become a people who don't pray for one another And whatever our prayers are they're superficial because quite honestly if we let them know what they should be praying for Well, they may judge us They may think we're out to lunch I am blessed to know that there are men and women in my life that I can call friends who know The very heartbeat of my soul Who know it who know my struggles who know my failings who know my proclivity to all manner of sin Who are willing to speak into my life on behalf of me to my God in heaven and and lift me up in prayer And I cannot tell you how many times I have sensed and felt the prayers of people in my life And it compels me then in turn to pray for them And to know them and to tell them that I'm praying for them and lifting them up That I'm thinking of them often and, and bringing them before the Lord Are they praying for you often number three? Are they protecting you from laziness? Paul says the reason why we have to be careful of this is because laziness is contagious. We learned that last week And this is where it gets tricky Friends need to be able to help us remember the commitments we've made to Remember what the word of god has taught but that gets hard every once in a while because when we're lax The last thing we want someone to do is to point us to where we're failing The last place we want someone to speak into our life is a place where we're missing the mark. And Paul says that when there is idleness, we need to call it out. And so when someone is lax in their spirituality, lax in their life, maybe in their morals, maybe in their decision-making, maybe they've just turned altogether away from the church, and someone needs to come to them and say, hey, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have professed a deep and profound relationship with Jesus Christ, and now you've given it all up. What's going on? One of the processes of our membership here at Village Bible Church is a commitment to one another that we are going to speak into one another's lives, again with grace, but speaking the truth in love, even at times when we may not want to hear it. What that means is if you see something in my life where my message is not being lived out in my life, I am welcoming And I am expecting that uh, other brothers and sisters in Christ are going to come and say, Hey, Tim, I'm seeing some things. I'm hearing some things that seem unbecoming, that go against what you yourself have professed. Let's talk about them. Now you say, well, where's that in Scripture? Paul addresses that. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 for a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, just a couple pages back, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, he says in verse 14 of chapter 5, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak. So there's three things. Admonish, that means, that's what parents do to teenage kids, right? Admonish. That's a a big word for give them a good talking to. And so we're to admonish those who are being lazy. You're missing it. Hey, you know what the scripture says. Now, Now start living that way. But then there's other people. They're they're the fainthearted. They're the scared. And we need to encourage them. Hey, I know life is difficult. I know it's hard. I know you're dealing with some hard things. But be encouraged. God loves you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And then there are those who are weak. And what they need is not to be yelled at. What they need is help. They need someone to come alongside them and and walk with them and and put their arm around them and, and help them as they limp through life. But notice what God's Word says. We are to be patient with them all. Village Bible Church is a church that believes in accountability. Listen to what I mean by that. What it means is is that as a church, we believe community Christianity is better than Christianity done by itself. And the reason why we believe community in our Christianity is more important is because I can deceive myself into thinking I'm doing a really good job. I can deceive myself into thinking that I'm accomplishing God's will in my life. But I recognize that there are places in my life that I can't see. And I need someone to help me to see them. I shave my head. You know that. You see that. And one of the things, and I've shared this before, one of the things that I have to do every time I shave my head, listen, I never shave my head when I'm by myself at the house. You want to know why? There's a lot of acreage back here. Okay? And I know I am prone to miss places on my head. And the worst thing that could happen is me walking out and I got a landing strip, you know, going on back here. Now, I can do my best and I try to touch where things are at. But when I shave my head, I do not leave the house without doing what we call the head check. So I'll ask one of the boys and I got, I'm a kid, you've got to be on. This is not the time, okay, to get your dad, all right? Come on man, I, I got a reputation I got to uphold here And so what will happen is, listen to me And I don't mean this to just be funny This is, this is uh, applicable to our lives I will literally take my head, I'll bring it down I'll say, you know, what are you seeing? Am I missing something? And that's what we as Christians have to do To be willing in our lives to, to in essence bend down a little bit And say, hey, can you look at this area of my life? Am I missing it? Did I get all of it? Because I don't want to go out in the world and and bring reproach to the name of Christ. I don't want to go out and make, make Christ look like a fool because there's places that I'm missing in my life. And so what I have to be willing to do is acknowledge that you might see things better than I do. That takes humility. And that will only work if I'm humble enough to say, you know what, you've got a better vantage point into my life than I do. But let me tell you, that goes against everything we know in American culture. I am the smartest person in the room, our culture says. I know more than you do. I don't have to listen to you. I can do it all by myself. And Christianity says you can't do it by yourself. You need others in your life who will graciously... Now, here's what I don't want my family to do. Especially, hey, am I missing... And, And Amanda says, you moron. How could you have missed that spot in your... Man, how can you not feel that? Are you brain dead or something? I mean, do you want to go around looking like a fool? How could you do that? I don't want that. That'll be the last time I ever ask Amanda to check if I've missed a spot on my head. Amanda graciously says, hey, yeah, you missed a spot right here. Not there. No, not there. But there. And let's get it cleaned up. Let's, let's, let's take care of it. And so as Christians, we can't go in mocking and, and being angry with people, but help them point out the areas they've missed So that they can be confident that they're walking for the Lord. Accountability is not a bad word. It is a word that enables us to help one another to live like Christ. Who are you hanging out with? Who are you allowing to speak into your life? Paul says that if we hang around with people who are lazy in their walk with Jesus Christ, we ourselves will become lazy as well. And so we've got to find people who are going to grow our relationship who are going to challenge us, even at times when it makes us feel uneasy, when they point out areas in our life that need to change. What are you hanging on to? What are you? Um, who are you hanging out with? And finally, what are you hoping for? Let's close this thing out. Paul closes this, rem, this letter by reminding that just as the Thessalonians needed the peace of God, so do we. They were living during times of affliction and persecution and Paul says listen now may the God of peace himself Sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and whole body be kept blameless. He says at the end of the first letter So he says I, I want God's peace the peace of God's gonna change you now in second Thessalonians He says now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way but 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 listen Paul The Thessalonians say don't you know we're struggling with affliction and persecution these people were losing their jobs They were losing their homes. They were being kicked out of their family gatherings because of their walk with Jesus Christ Soon they would be jailed and thrown amongst the lions Don't you know Paul that we're living during turbulent times how in the world? Can you say the God of this universe will give us peace and not just some peace but peace in all times and in every way how in the world can that happen? Well, Paul told the people that our peace is not found in two places. Number one, it's not found in life's circumstances. Some of you are saying, you know what, I'd have peace if my marriage was stronger. I'd have peace if there was money in the checking account. I'd have peace if I knew my job was secure. I'd have peace if my kids would listen to me. I'd have peace if, if everything was going great. Paul never says that. In fact, the Bible never says that. You will never find peace because the circumstances of life are going well. Look at Hollywood. Hollywood is looking for all the bells and whistles. And what do we learn? Hollywood is filled with the saddest people that we know. There are all kinds of drugs and all kinds of pursuing all kinds of pleasures just to try to find a peace. And they've got everything going for them. Everything working for them. I was reading an article about uh, the late artist Prince. And they were saying that the last years of Prince's life, this incredible uh, artist, gifted guy. I mean, the guy played dozens of different instruments, had, had millions of, of uh, records sold. The guy had fame and fortune and everything you could ever want for. And they said he was despondent in the last decade of his life dealing with horrific depression so don't tell me that when everything is good you're gonna find peace peace is not found in life's circumstances notice as well and this is probably a little more apropos for us in the church peace is not found with regards to the direction of culture some of us are saying right now I would be a lot more at peace if 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 our country would get back to God I'd be back at peace if our schools would have prayer. I'd get back to peace if, if, if I knew God was winning in this culture war. I'd be at peace if we elected the right man or woman. I'd be at peace if we had the right judges. I'd be at peace if, if politics were going the way I would hope them to. And so we build this idea of peace as a Christian by saying that we win the culture war. And never do we see a victory in the culture wars ever bring about spiritual change in the life of the culture or in the life of a Christian. So what brings us peace? What brings us hope? What can we hold on to? What can we hope for? Paul says our hope is based not on life circumstances or the culture, but it's based, first of all, on the coming of Jesus Christ. Paul says you need to be ready. We don't know if the coming of Jesus Christ will be today or tomorrow We don't know if it'll be in our lifetime or the next we don't know But here's what we can hope for no matter the timing of Christ's coming first of all Christ's coming reminds us that God's plan is not complete There's still the rest of the story to be written And so it tells us that while we're in the middle of this It's not the end. God has not left us and said, you know what? I'm done. I'm leaving the building. But that he's got a plan. He's got a purpose to bring all things together. The second thing that Christ's coming reminds us of is that he is still intimately and actively involved in our lives. If he says, listen, you don't need to be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled, John 14 tells us when Jesus is talking to his disciples. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, then I will come back and I will bring you where I am so we'll be together forever. And so it tells us that Jesus is fully aware of our circumstances. He's fully aware of our lot in life. And he is saying, don't lose hope. I'm coming back and when I come back, I will resolve every wrong. I will right everything uh, that... Has been wrong or missing in the life of my people. I'm going to fix things. The coming of Jesus Christ is a moment in time where we can look forward to and recognize that the best is yet to come. Notice the conquering of Jesus Christ. We are told, and we were told in 1 Thessalonians and also in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he tells us this that a man of lawlessness in the last days will be revealed. And he will do a lot of destroying. And he'll do a lot of of things filled with hate. And and people will worship him as if he's God. And it will seem at the moment when things are darkest, something will take place. And in verse 8 of chapter 2, we're reminded that on the day of the Lord's return, and then verse 8 says, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. We need to recognize that at the coming of Jesus Christ, evil will once and for all be destroyed. That all of our struggles, all of our affliction, all of the things that we deal with in a fallen world will once and for all be leveled at the coming of Jesus Christ. And so we can have confidence whether it's a bad medical report, whether it's a bad financial report, whether it's a bad spiritual report, whether we look at culture and see our country uh, falling apart at the seams spiritually, we can have hope that there's a day coming where Jesus Christ will take care of it once and for all. So what do we do between that time and now? How do we remain in a state of readiness? Paul finishes this letter and he says, listen, notice in 2 Thessalonians chapter, uh 3 Verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. What do you need tomorrow to be a follower of Jesus Christ? You need grace. What do you need when you go to the workplace tomorrow? Grace. What do you need in your marriage? Grace. What do you need when you're dealing with your kids? Lots of grace. What do you need when trouble comes? Grace. What do you need when you find yourself at the top of the mountain? Grace. What's grace? God's unmerited favor and love for his people and so what we need to do like those creeks and rivers that we see now overflowing we need to open ourselves up to the grace of God and what that means is if we're not ready in certain areas then we need to ask God for forgiveness and the Bible says when we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness so that we may experience in the fullness his love, and his mercy. And in doing so, we will find ourselves ready. Are you ready for his coming? He's coming. What are you holding on to? Who are you hanging out with? And where's your hope? Hopefully you can answer those questions personally and reflectively this morning and make the needed changes that God calls you through his word to do. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this letter. 1st uh, and 2nd Thessalonians, how it impacted the lives of those who first read it, and what it has done to our church as we now close out this series. Lord, I thank you for what has been taught and what has been learned through our small groups and through our time in the Word. And I pray, Lord, that it will change us. It will motivate us to be ready, in season and out of season, to live for you, knowing that you're coming back. And that we live in light of that coming. Ready for whatever you may call us to in the time between your resurrection and your return. So Lord, move in our hearts as a church and as a people to look at our lives and to allow others to speak into our lives so that we may be as prepared as possible. So that if today you were to come, as your scripture says, you might find faith in our lives at your return. So, Lord, we confess our sins to you the sin of not being prepared, the sin of not being ready, the sin of, of, of seeing the issues of eternity as being long separated from us, and at the temporal things being far more important. So, challenge our hearts this morning as we reflect on your word and the impact that it has on each of our lives. Fill us with your spirit so that we may, in a new week, in a new day, live differently than we did in the last, for your glory and for your name. We love you, and now we ask for a time of fellowship where, Lord, we will allow people to love on us and to speak uh, words of truth into our lives. Lord, let us do it graciously. Let us do it in a way that we would want it done unto ourselves. We love you and give you uh, this service and all that's been said and done. And give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, Amen.